Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Howier. And Brad, it's kind of not quite officially just basketball season left. We still have the bowl season around the corner, and of course, uh, Hutch Juco and the Juco playoffs will be getting going. But it, it's really feeling like it's 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 about officially basketball season. It almost seems like that the first Friday of basketball. It, it it's and yeah, we're gonna have a lot of games on Ad Astra this week, but um, and you know we're both doing them, but it almost feels like that the first Friday of basketball is almost like a very it's it's gotten to the point where it feels like it's a limited schedule now, doesn't it, Scott? Because so many more schools are starting to take that first Friday off due to the potential of uh, football teams playing so late in, into the year. So I think a lot of schools have kind of figured through the years, like you know, heck, even if even if our team makes it to the quarterfinals, I mean that's 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 a week loss to practice right there. Mm-hmm. So I think we're starting to see more and more of that. Uh, schools are just uh, kind of delaying the season until after that uh, Friday, which is uh, this coming Friday. Yeah, and then, of course, you'll jump into those early season tournaments next week, and it'll really feel uh, like basketball season with everybody getting going. Start off, we'll take a look back at the weekend that was in the state championship Saturday in football and just kind of briefly go through the winners and and the games will go in order we'll go um big to small and let's start off with arguably uh this this game and probably the game in 1A were the two best in the playoffs at 6A it took Manhattan two overtimes but they get it done go undefeated this year 21-20 over Gardner Edgerton and of course that resume also included beating Derby twice this year did, did it seem like Brad do you think is the best team standing alone top 6a yeah I think so uh at the end of the first overtime they actually missed uh, a game-winning field goal it wasn't a very long field goal obviously but uh just kind of feels like that uh, even though they missed that and still got the win that not only were they the best team they just kind of seemed like uh, a team of destiny this year well, in Class 5A, I, I do believe, and I saw Mays, they were really, really good, but in 5A, I think the best team standing atop again is Mill Valley beat Mays 28-14. to 14. Mill Valley, you know, they sit out there in eastern Kansas. They play a tough schedule. Their one loss, I believe, uh, was across the border, wasn't it, to a Missouri team? No, their one loss actually was to Olathe North. Olathe North, okay. Um, but, yeah, I, I – I was one. I was thinking I was kind of rooting for Mays since I got to see him this year, but I was not surprised that all Mill Valley came out on top. No, Mill Valley actually, since after they lost that game to Olathe North, I mean they just throttled some teams. Uh, between that loss to North and the finals against Mays, they allowed just three points, so they really turned it on late in the season. In Class Four A, I saw some comments about this, and I don't know that we need to get into it, but. Uh, Bishop Miege, uh, one of the private schools, you know, the argument continues to rage on what to do with the disproportionate number of state titles that the private schools are winning as they gave Wamigo their first loss of the year, 35-14, to 14, to claim yet another state football championship. You know, the multiplier is going to be going into effect, I believe, uh, is that next year for the private schools? Well, the state of Kansas still has to, uh, the, the government still has to approve the measure. And essentially what the measure is, is that they will, the proposal essentially is to turn over, you know, the, the how to restructure classifications strictly over to Kesha. 
you know, right now it has to be done uh, with uh, approval from the state of Kansas. The state of Kansas, but what Keisha is essentially saying with this multiplier, saying, hey, why don't you guys just let us handle this so that way we don't have to go through all this bureaucratic nonsense. So uh, there's still one more step. I do anticipate it happening. If not next year, definitely by the next football cycle. Okay, so I, like I said, I saw a lot of comments. I, I'm in the boat. I think I think it needs to happen. You know, the, the stats back it up. They just do um, have have the advantage in the way they can um, quote unquote recruit kids from out of district, out of state. Um, Miege again, a top of class four A, and then of course everybody shocked in class three A. As you know, you and I were, ha ha, Andale. 28 to nothing over Holton, Brad, as good as Andale's offense is, they shut out their last three opponents in the state playoffs, you know, supposedly getting into the cream of the crop and Andale did not allow a single point in the last three weeks of the playoffs. It's just, it's just incredible. That train, and there's no signs of it slowing down because I, I know last year and probably this year, I don't think their JV or junior high lost the game. Well, they also uh, three three shutouts in the playoffs. Actually, only allowed six uh, points in their five playoff games. So they had four shutouts. Only Pratt scored against them in the playoffs. And yeah, I was down on the field when the game ended. I, I broadcast the game for Ad Astra, and then uh, I also covered the game for Acacia Covered. And um, they uh, who was it? White Specs are their quarterback. You told me they only have thirteen seniors this year, Scott. Now, <laughs> admittedly, them are you know big you know they're they're their main players. They you know, the, the main weapons on offense and their best players on defense. The fact of the matter is, that means that there's a lot of kids that are playing out there that aren't seniors. And just that all those guys aren't seen or aren't playing doesn't mean that they're not good. It's just that they're behind some seniors that are pretty darn good. So I don't know. I think that this Andale train, 51 straight wins now. I just don't see a stopping next year, Scott. And, you know, I have to see what they've got next year before I can make a proclamation about how long this can go. But, um, I mean, the state record for most wins in a row is 79. I think they would have to go two more undefeated seasons and then start the, thir- the season after that 3-0. and I'm not going to say they're going to get to that number, but at this point, Scott, I'm, it, I, I'd be kind of surprised if they didn't have another uh, another undefeated season next year. Uh, me as well. Like I said, when you've got the your JV and junior high teams not losing a game, you, you know, these – these kids are just waiting their turn. You know, there'll be some unfamiliar names, but there's no reason to think that they're not going to be right back in this situation again next year again. 51 straight, fourth straight state football title for Andale. Uh, the game I had on Saturday in 2A, Nemaha Central um, gave Kingman their first loss of the year, 33-17. to 17. And a couple things in this game, Brad. Kingman just buried themselves early. They they fumbled the opening kickoff and then got tackled on the six-yard line. One first down, short punt, good return to the 35, and then the Hike kid, Cooper Hike, six straight runs. He's into the end zone, um, 6 nothing. And then the next possession, uh, Kingman snaps the punt over Nolan Friend's head and in a hurry about his own 15, trying to pick it up and maybe still run or get a punt away, he kicks it accidentally into the end zone and then instead of batting it out of the end zone or just falling on it he picks it up and is tackled on the one so Nemo Central then gets took him two plays but you look up and it's 14 nothing um you still got five plus minutes to go in the first quarter and Kingman was just 
behind the sticks all day. It's not a 33, 17 was, it wasn't that close. They were down 33 to three in the fourth quarter and given, give them credit. They, they kept battling. Nolan friend was flinging that thing all over the place. Um, got a couple of late touchdowns. Did get an onside kick in there, but uh, Nemaha central, they were big. We knew Kingman's line. They had overcome their size all season long. They couldn't do it. Nemaha central too big. And the height kid, um, 37, I think I had him for 37 carries and 207 yards on the game. And he had, I believe four of those five touchdowns. It was just Nemaha central, just too big, too physical for Kingman. Well, I think the height kid has a, uh, a local connection, Scott. Um, I'm McClain? pretty sure. What's that? I think uh, John McClain isn't his wife a hike. Yes. And that's what the connection is right there. I think that's her nephew or something like that. So uh, not surprisingly, I thought that's a pr- pretty good, uh, uh, you know, family right there. A lot, a lot of great athletes in that family. So not really a surprise, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, man, I feel bad for Kingman because they played so well all year. I mean, to hear those kind of mistakes early in the game, I mean, you don't want to blame that maybe the occasion was too big for them, but it almost feels like that it was. Yeah. It it looked like they were nervous early on. Um, Nolan friends picked off three times in this game. He also lost a fumble. Um, Obviously you can't do that in a state title game. And, and expect to come out on top, but it did look like they were a little nervous early on. And then, like I said, just that, that big deficit, um, just, they couldn't overcome it against Nemaha central, uh, who wins their second title as Nemaha central. They were Nemaha Valley, which combined with Baileyville B and B back in nine, or in 14. So we move on to probably the, if not the best game, the second best game out in Hayes in Class 1A. Boy, a heartbreaker, Brad, for Inman. St. Mary's goes, if I saw this correctly, with about two and a half minutes left, they went 99 yards to get the game-winning touchdown with 13 seconds left to beat Inman. 44-41. to It was, I don't know how many lead changes this game had, especially in the second half, but oh, what what a way for Inman to lose lose a heartbreaker in Hayes. Yeah, it doesn't get much better, Scott, because um, they were going in to score up three, uh, or maybe they're, they're either three or four. They were going in to score, and they fumbled. And then on the, uh, the ensuing possession that you've already mentioned, the 99 yards, they had a pass interference call against them, Inman did, now, I don't know what down it was. It was called on Tanner Heckle, and I saw some photos and some video of the play, and let me just say that, oh, man, I feel bad for Tanner because there th- this was an interference, Scott. And I know that the – and I'm not one to throw the officials under the bus. I mean, look, they had every opportunity to win that game, and, you know, that that's just a one play out of several that uh, Inman could have made, and they didn't. But, man, I just felt bad because, you know, Heckle came back from so many uh, – from that injury earlier in the season. I think he finally got back to where he expected to be, maybe about the quarterfinals. Uh, he's going to have a great basketball season. He's going to – Uh-oh. You there? Uh, yeah, absolutely a great game. St. Mary's had a great season. I think they started out 0-2. And then had the late loss to Conway Springs. That definitely seemed like it was the best game of the bunch. Yeah, as uh, in, uh, ends up state runners up two years in a row, as are the Little River Redskins in eight-man Division One. Actually had the lead 
at halftime, 22 to 20, but too much Wichita County in the second half is Wichita County 54, 36 over Little River. I think Little River, you know, they lost one of their offensive linemen in the playoffs, Toby Jessup. I know he missed the Berlin game game and this one. I don't remember for sure when he had that ankle injury. Um, they moved different people around and they just they just couldn't overcome Wichita County in this one. It, it just seemed like Wichita County just a little maybe too quick and a little too big for Little River. Yeah, they certainly seem to have the firepower. Uh, they had years ago, uh, second of Little River. But uh, this doesn't from what's been a tremendous three-year run for Little River. You know, three state championship games, one title. And I know that those, uh, especially those seniors who maybe were role players as sophomores, aren't going to say, well, it was still a good season because they certainly wanted to win the, the, the big enchilada there. But uh, it certainly does not detract from anything that they accomplished this year. When you're essentially one of the – you know, the second best team in eight man division one and probably one of the top four or five teams in all of eight man. Uh, certainly nothing to hang your head about. Yeah, tremendous three year run. They're going to get hit again pretty hard with graduation, but it has been a, a fun ride for Little River the last three seasons. Eight man division two, Brad. I, we kind of alluded to this that we thought maybe Axel Canton Galva. The week before might have been kind of your state title game, and it turned out it was. Is Axel just they actually run rule and end the game early against Thunder Ridge, seventy six to twenty eight. So Axel um, clearly um, in this game the better team and the best team in eight man division two. I can't remember what the score was, but at one point in the second quarter, but I want to say that for most of the first half it was actually a pretty close game. But we know the wild world of eight-man football. All it takes is, uh, you know, a couple turnovers or, you know, stop on downs. And, you know, what, what's what's a close game is also in a 22-24 point deficit. And that's obviously what happened with Axel there on Saturday. Well, I, nothing was proven any more to me than the year Canton Galva won the state. And I watched them go get behind 36 to nothing in that game. And they were there was another drive by their opponent. And it looked like they could actually get point ruled in that game and they come back and score 66 unanswered i've never seen anything like it that i did that year that canton galva won so yeah eight man football unpredictable as is six man football but this we predicted and brad we were actually right on this one as cunningham completes the deal they go perfect this year and they beat ashland for the second time this season a little easier than the first time 38 16 to win the first official six-man title here in Kansas. So those young kids, they stuck together, and they bring home the title to Cunningham. And I actually looked at the rosters. I think Cunningham only had like maybe four or five seniors, but what's even better for Ashland is they had no seniors on the team. Now Cunningham had a lot more depth than Ashland did, which I'm going to guess probably played a factor in this. But, heck, man, we could, we, we could see a rematch next year between these teams. And I think everybody would sign up for that right now. But, again, it's uh, you and I were – champions of it I'm, I'm i'm glad to see it i hope it's a a long long lasting relationship there in six man football with Keisha. so that kind of wraps up puts a bow on the high school football season we were able to call five of those games so at astra had coverage of everything from 3a on down of course with the exception of eight man division two 
Well, we talked about high school basketball season opening up. Ad Astor has a full schedule uh, this Friday night. I'll run through the schedule. We'll hit on a few of these games. 94-7, Sterling at Hillsborough. 95-9, Bueller at Nickerson. Abilene at Smoky Valley. Scott, I've lost you completely here. You lost me? I don't me? know if you can hear me, but I cannot hear you right now. You cannot hear me now? How about now? Okay, I think I know why. Hold on here, Scott. Hold on. Give me just a second here. Scott, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. I think my Wi-Fi has been going out. So, um... I thought I lost you earlier there for a second when we were talking about, um, I think, St. Mary Inman. There was a f- several seconds I didn't hear you, and then you came back on. Okay. Well, I'm just going to go off uh, just uh, off uh, cellular data here. Uh, just pick it off from the transition from high school football to wherever else, because you, you got the transition from high school football, and you just started the next part. So why don't you start with uh, your transition there? Okay. So that puts a bow on the high school football season. Ad Astor covered five of those games, 3A on down through six-man, with the exception of eight-man Division Two. Well, we alluded to it a little while ago, as this Friday will be the high school basketball opener, and Ad Astor has a full schedule. So let's look at the schedule, and then we'll talk about a few of these games in depth. 94.7 Sterling at Hillsborough. 95-9, Bueller at Nickerson, Abilene at Smoky Valley on 96-7. Thursday game, 98-9, Dodge City at McPherson. Trinity at Haven on 100.3, 106.1, Sedgwick at Halstead. Stream number one, Stafford at St. John. And stream number two finds Ellsworth at Lions. Well, Brad, they've got me... Sterling at Hillsborough, it's going to be an extremely interesting night as we have two defending state champions playing. Of course, the Sterling girls back-to-back in Class 2A, as are the Hillsborough boys back-to-back in Class... Uh, was Hillsborough 2A last year, Brad, or just 1A? They were 2A. Uh, I, I, I think 2A sounds right, yeah. That's right. They were in Manhattan. Um, but both of those teams hit really hard with graduation. So it's going to be a really interesting evening. We know Sterling um, still has Kate Rowland and also the sophomore. She may be taller than 6'4 now, Brad, Lily Gray. It's going to be a very young Sterling team. The Hillsborough boys, Brecken Ratzliff is back, but lots of newcomers. They've got a lot of sophomores on that roster. Sterling boys, same way. They were at state, lost in the first round. They got hit hard with graduation. The Hillsboro girls, quite a bit back, a couple of really good juniors in uh, Savannah Shahan and Zaley Worth. But it's going to be interesting to see how these teams with all these seniors gone um, show up on Friday night. I'm really not sure what I'm going to see. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, you got a couple of boys teams, uh, like uh, I think a look at Hillsboro. You know, they're definitely in rebuild mode for uh, football. But, uh, you know, Daryl Canola, I don't think the guy's ever had a – you know, he just keeps churning them in and out with uh, with boys basketball over there, winning another state championship last year. And then on the girls' side, kind of, kind of like with uh, what Jill Rowland's going through last year, last, uh, right now, won a, won a state championship last year. And just when you think that, uh, oh, they lost uh, some players, they're not going to be quite as good, uh, that, that just isn't, seems like it's not happening with Sterling girls right now. 
Yeah, so um, I, I I think um, both Sterling teams are going to be competitive. I think their girls have a chance to be pretty good. I think Hillsborough girls could be really good. We'll see on Hillsborough boys and Sterling boys again. It's going to be a lot of new pieces, and we'll see how that all comes together. Of course, a big story on 95.9 in Nickerson. Nickerson girls uh, probably this year, when last year started, would be expected to be one of the favorites. Um, and now with uh, Josie McLean over at Hutchison High School, and of course we know Ava Jones not going to be able um, to play this season. Um, the Nickerson girls, I- I'm curious to see how they put the put the pieces back together and how they perform this year. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, you know, as you pointed out, you know, losing Coach McLean and losing Josie McLean over to Hutchinson High School and then uh, Ava Jones to her unfortunate uh, injuries to her accident. Uh, it's it's uh, It'll be an interesting game on, on Tuesday to open – or is it on Friday or is it Tuesday? Uh, well, I, I think I had that one on this Friday. Okay. So that's um, – it, it's going to be an emotional night. We know that. Um, New Era in Nickerson. And, of course, the Bueller girls are – kind of stuck in transition right now and uh new coaching over at the for the Bueller boys as well so uh, a lot of unknowns uh, going into that Bueller opener uh not, not just for them but for Nickerson as well yeah a lot I think there's a lot a lot more questions and answers out there in that matchup um what do you think uh, the two McPherson we always know the McPherson boys it, it seems like year in year out there always a factor what, what do we think of uh, Dodge and Mac on Thursday night well, Dodge, of course, is usually a pretty consistent boys team out in western Kansas. And, uh, you know, Mac has been kind of, by their standards, down the last couple of years. I say down the last couple of years and then make it to the semifinals last year. So how <laughs> down could they have possibly have been? But uh, but I think, if I'm not mistaken, Scott, they were the eighth seed last year, weren't they? And they beat, and they beat Bueller in the first round. I could be wrong about that, but something tells me, uh, if, if my memory serves me right, that Mac actually was the eighth seed going into state last year. I think that sounds right, yeah. So, yeah, again, by their own lofty standards, they may have been down a little bit. But, uh, again, how da- kind of like with McPherson boys soccer, you know, they go, what, 5-11 and 11 this year in the regular season, which is, uh, you know, down for their lofty standards. And they end up, ho- and they end up hoisting the third-place trophy. So, uh, <laughs> it just seems like that, you know, riding back off is, is – uh, just ridiculous it may seem like that they may not be as talented but to think that they won't be a contender you know come end of the year of course when you got a coach like Kurt Kinnaman uh, you can do much worse yeah I, I never would uh, write McPherson boys off until they're actually done playing for sure uh, Trinity at Haven that's fascinating matchups you know tr- both Trinity teams really struggled last year but we saw um, a trinity football team that struggled the season before brought back basically everybody back had a great football season do we look for their basketball teams to rebound with good seasons you know i think the boys probably will i don't really know enough about the girls yet to to make a an educated guess but i, I would anticipate the boys bouncing back this year you know they got some height they got some length they got some athleticism and certainly, like we saw with the, the football team, uh, a little bit more depth even. So I think uh, I do expect the Trinity boys to bounce back this year and have a pretty good season. Well, Haven, on the other hand, um, their boys, I can't remember the graduation situation with Haven. Um, it seemed like their girls has quite a bit back. They would lose um, the coach's daughter um, to graduation. What, what, what about the two Haven teams? They could be very interesting this year. 
Yeah, they had some decent young talent. Uh, the girls with Dwight Roper's uh, uh, Dwight Roper's team last year has some good young talent. It will be interesting to see, you know, if they can have an outside threat. I know they got the Bronner girl back, and I think there's a couple of Bronners actually who are playing this year. Uh, cousins actually, there's a freshman coming in, Avery Bronner, who's uh, I think softball is her number one sport, but uh, uh, she'll provide some uh, depth in the post. Uh, so it. it you know, I think that'll be the big thing is, you know, Reese Roper is kind of the leader on the team, the unquestioned leader on the team. I think everyone just kind of fed off her. So now that she's not around, you know, who's going to step in and take that role? I think that'll be the big thing. And on the boys' side, heck, I'm done trying to figure out how Lonnie Paramore does. It seems like every year you think that they're in rebuild mode, then they go out and win 14, 15 games. So uh, <laughs> they win 14, 15 games, and they're like seated fourth in that substate because it's always like the best substate around. So. Uh, but yeah, I'm kind of done trying to figure things out with uh, Lonnie Paramore. He does it every year. He thinks that they're going to be down, and then they 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 just keep winning games, man. Seems like Haven and Nickerson are victims of geography um, every year, and uh, as far as when where they get put for sub-state or districts in football and all that, they always seem to get lumped in there into brutal situations. Uh, you're going to have Sedgwick at Halstead on Friday night. I know you and I probably share the same sentiments. That Halstead girls team, we watched them last year. I I don't remember. They may have had a senior. If it was, I think it was only one or two. They were extremely young. Several freshmen played, a lot of sophomores. Uh, we both think the world of Dominique Schutte, how good she is is and is going to be. They were 8-13 and 13 last year, Brad. I love their intensity. They, they get out. They press the whole game. Um, they go quick and sometimes trying to go too quick. They do turn the ball over. They'll over rotate, give up easy baskets, but they're banking on getting more steals and more looks than they give up on the turnovers. Uh, I think they're going to be an extremely fun bunch to watch this year. Yeah. And coach, coach Derek Shooty, of course, is one of the best ones out there. Let's not forget two years ago, uh, you know, they made it to state and lost in the first round and during the COVID year where they played the first rounds actually at the higher seed, which was Cheney in this case. And correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but Cheney won the state title that year, didn't they? Yes, they did, because I believe you had you had that game, the Halstead-Cheney game, if I remember right. And I think we both called the Cheney game together there at Hutch that year. Yeah, and so they, um, yeah, it was, two, yeah, the, the COVID year where, uh, you know, Cheney won the state championship. And let's not forget, in the first round in that game at Cheney, uh, Pulse had lost in double overtime and had a, a two shots at the end to win the game. And uh, Dominic Schutte, who was a freshman there, almost won the game for them with a shot that uh, somehow did not go in. And she's a junior now. I think there's another Schutte who plays this, uh, who who's, uh, was a freshman last year, Delana or something like that. Does that yeah. sound right? Yeah. Yeah, she- so, uh, and of course, like I said, Derek's a great coach, uh, and, and let's be honest, Scott, eight wins in that conference, uh, that's not bad. So I, I do expect them to win, uh, you know, so, some more games this year. I don't want to put a number on it, but uh, I, I would anticipate a winning season this year for the Halstead girls. I would. They're just they're just fun to watch. I mean, they, they just play hard with intensity. Like I said, sometimes, you know, and I, and I think that's going to improve this year. And they would have quite a few turnovers or, like I said, Two people go where only one was supposed to go. But I think with that experience now, because, I mean, they were mostly freshmen and sophomore, I think we'll see improvement there. And they should be 
a lot of fun to watch. Uh, what are we thinking on the two Lions teams? Um, boy, I th- they, they lost a lot. You know, they lost a lot a couple seasons ago. The boys did, and then they graduated a couple more of their better players from last year's team. It looks like uh, um, both Lions teams could be in a little bit of rebuild this year. Yeah, I felt like the girls were probably already in that uh, spot maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, played some some young talents and you know the thing is Scott is this conference that you know the CKL is just it's unforgiving and you know a, a decent team and we saw it with Halstead last year Halstead wasn't a bad team they go eight and 13 last year so you know you might you, you could be a good young team on the rise and maybe we win four or five games just because the caliber of opponents that you're playing every Tuesday and every Friday is so high so it'll be interesting to see if uh, either one of those teams can uh you know, withstand the the rigors of this conference. Yeah, it's it's it is tough. And then Halstead plays in that <laughs> that Haven Girls Tournament, which I think is most possibly the toughest girls tournament in the state. That thing is just loaded up and down with ranked teams every year. So yeah, that that'll be a fun matchup on Friday night. And again, eight games on Ad Asher. You can go to adasherradio.com and see that full schedule. Well, let's move into the college ranks, both a little football and basketball to talk about. Let's uh, let's rip the Band-Aid off a little first, Brad, and talk KU football as the Jayhawks end up the regular season 6-6 six and six after a 47-27 loss at Kansas State. Uh, it, to me, Brad, this game was kind of predictable. It I didn't get to really watch or listen to much at all of it. Um, they seemed like they allowed Jalen Daniels to do a little bit more. He did have eight carries for 51 yards, did have a rushing touchdown, 20 of 32, 168. Um, Devin Neal, pretty decent number, 16 carries, 59 yards, two touchdowns. But again, the, the defense just could not come up with any stops when they had to have them. Gave up 443 total yards. KU had 307, and they gave up 230 rushing yards to Kansas State. Um, it, again, it was kind of a predictable game to me. I thought K-State was going to win probably by two, three, four touchdowns. They end up winning by uh, three touchdowns. What, what was your first reaction to that game? Well, I got several reactions here, but if you want my first one, I think I saw a metric this year or this week, Scott, that said Kansas special teams ranked third to the bottom in the in FBS this year, third yeah. from the bottom. Now, the defense wasn't quite as bad, but it ranked in the hundreds still. Offensively, 16th. Now, I'm not sure what metrics that they're using, but it was, it was just one of those kind of new math kind of deals, but uh, special teams – Scott, they've been horrible this year. They they had a new kicker. The their previous kicker, I guess, didn't even get on the bus on on Saturday for the game. So uh, he wasn't very good anyway. New <laughs> kick, you know, new kicker came in and uh, I think he made three extra points and they went for two another time. Uh, but you know, they dropped the punt. You know, they 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 hit the whole K State to a three and out on the first possession. And what do they do? They drop the punt and K State recovers. I mean, you just can't have mistakes like that. Then they then on the next punt that K State had the uh, the guy. Let's it drop inside the ten yard line, and they and they take over at the three, and end up getting a safety out of it. So, 
that, that was kind of my first reaction. My second reaction was, you know, it's, it's 30 to 21 late in the second quarter, and Kansas was going to get the ball to start the second half. Kansas had four straight possessions when it was 30 to 21 and scored zero points. Mm. And, you, just, you know, you just can't have that. And then, uh, you know, on the bright side, you know, it's, it's, a, it's still a 10-point game in the fourth quarter. I mean, Kansas, you know, Jalen Daniels scored on a one-yard run, and it's a 10-point game with a little over, what, 10 minutes left in the game, but then they give up like an 80-yard play to um, – to, to, to Deuce Vaughn, and yeah, I, I think Kansas is close, Scott. I really do. I think they're close. And 6-6, six and six, probably, it's probably a fair record. I mean, you may even say it flattered them a little bit this year. But the fact that they're going to go to a bowl game after, you know, two years ago they were winless or they were 2-10 and 10 last year, I think it, it's, uh, it still speaks volumes to the progress that they've made and will continue to make. I think they could conceivably return, uh, what was it, um, 19 of their 22 starters on, on offense and defense next year, uh, conceivably uh, that, you know, the transfer portal, uh, potential graduations, you know, someone who maybe just is, is ready to go on with their life may not come back. And they do have currently the top uh, ranked tr- uh, transfer in the transfer portal who is committed to Kansas, a five-star offensive lineman who was at Wisconsin. So I do think that there's some good stuff happening with Kansas football, but they just, you know, you, you, you just can't have the third worst special teams in the country and go into a place like K-State, which usually has a top 10 special teams, and make those kind of mistakes. I mean, you just can't do stuff like that. I mean, to hold it, to hold them out to, to three and out on the first possession and then just drop the punt, I mean, mm. that's just unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, the, the common theme over the, you know, they finished one and five after starting uh, five and oh, or one and six after starting five and oh the common theme in all of those games was just burying themselves early in the game. And again, into the first quarter, what was the score? 23 to seven. Um, And it just takes, you know, they want to try to run the football and that just takes that so much out of the equation when you get behind like that. And, and successful programs are good in all three phases. Like you said, they're, they're awful and special teams and pretty close to that on defense. Now though, there were some injuries, but, um, I think I think the Iowa State game f- fooled us a little bit. I think that was against a bad offense when they had such a good defensive performance. Um, but you and I both at the first part of the year, before the season started, you'd say, "Hey, KU's going to be six and six. They're going to go to a bowl game. What do you think?" We would have both signed up for it, hook, line, and sinker, and said that would be a great season, which I think it has. It got our expectations. Of course, everybody's expectations up when they were five and zero. Oh. Um, the moment was a little big for them, I think. Um, but Lance Leipold, we saw what he could do between year one and year two. And I think it's conceivable to think he can take another step next year and maybe a couple a couple of those games you turn around, you, you don't lose, you don't get down early. You flip that to eight and four, nine and three. I don't think that's completely um, out of the equation. And, of course, news – a little bit off the field. Of course, they give Leipold an extension, a pretty lucrative extension through 2029. Now, we know how those work, Brad. If, if, if he really wants to go somewhere, you can always negotiate a buyout um, of those contracts. We've seen it time and time again. But um, to me, it seems certainly KU is committed to Lance Leipold, and it really feels like he is committed to Kansas. Yeah, I think the thing that Leipold wants to see now is, is – 
quick progress on a new stadium and a new, uh, you know, new football complex as well. I think part of his, uh, he, he can like terminate the contract if they don't start making progress as early as next year. So get that shovel ready, KU, again, start putting that, that thing in the ground and, and start, you know, getting ready for, you know, to, to build on this. But, you know, even more than that, Scott, I, I do think that Kansas football definitely is looking up. And, and how good would it be for them to go out and win a bowl game now? You know, seven and six sounds a heck of a lot better than six and seven. And then you go into next year and, you know, you're playing Missouri State. That's a win. You're playing Illinois, who's not very good Big Ten team. And you're playing Nevada, who right now is one of the worst FBS teams. So right now you got a pretty good non-conference schedule. So you can go three and zero again there. Now I think I think the next logical step is to challenge for for a 500 record in the Big 12. I know there's nine games, but four and five, five and four. I think that's the next next logical step there. Yeah, they would. You know, if you go five and four, that gets you to um, eight and four, and I think that would be a, another big step forward. Um, yeah, I think Illinois actually was decent this year. They probably should have beaten Michigan, and we'll get to Michigan here in a little bit. Um, so that might be a little tricky. Do you have the schedule there? Where is that game? Games in Lawrence. Okay, um, that that could be a tricky game. Um, Nevada, like you said, is is bad now. They have been pretty decent in the past, but yeah, I think we're all excited. I'm excited for the bowl game, Brad, for the fact that um, Jalen Daniels it, it, it's appearing that he is pretty close. Again, they let him run a little bit more, and I think with well, conceivably what three four weeks off now before they would get a bowl game to get everybody healthy, more practice. I think we're going to see a KU offense that resembled the first five games a lot more than the last couple. So I'm excited about that. Um, Right now, a bowl projection, this would be an interesting game, have them at the guaranteed rate bowl against Big Ten Maryland. That'd be a fun game. Yeah, I've seen everything from, you know, the Liberty Bowl against Missouri. I I don't see that happening because I think the Liberty Bowl – is going to want a more – I'm not saying that they couldn't sell the game out or pretty come pretty close with Kansas-Missouri, but I think they'd rather have, instead of two 6-6 six and six teams, maybe like two 8-4 and four teams or something like that. Uh, but I also have seen a potential matchup in Texas at uh, like maybe the Armed Forces Bowl against BYU. How fun would that be to play another future Big 12 opponent? Ooh, that would um, – that'd be a – BYU's had a pretty good season. They have a good offense. Um that would be a good game as well. But the, the fact, <laughs> and this goes back to the fact of the matter, Brad, that we're talking about a Kansas bowl game coming up is exciting. And remember, what was Mark Mangino's um, first record that got the eyes open that KU may be on the rise? Six well, his first, first year was 2-10. and ten. His second year was 6-7 and seven in a bowl game. Yep, and they lost to NC State and... Philip Rivers. Yep, I do remember that. And then from there, we had the the few glory years of KU football, and it feels like you're close to that again, and that's exciting. Of course, we'll talk about their bowl game when that selection occurs. Uh, KU on the basketball floor, Brad, they played in the uh, battle for Atlantis, I believe it was, down in the – that, that was in the Bahamas where they were at, right? Yeah, that's right. All right, because I think Wichita, K-State was in the Caymans. KU was in the Bahamas. Ended up going 2-1 and one in that. They beat NC State by six. I got to watch the Wisconsin game. Wow. Um, beat them in overtime, 69-68. Came out flat, got beat 
50 versus Tennessee, then played last night on Monday and uh, defeated Texas Southern 87-55. They get Seton Hall um, this week on Thursday. KU now 7-1. and one. Um, Seems like it's a, a team, you can tell this team is loaded with talent. Um, Grady Dick is amazing as a freshman. They're still kind of trying to find the consistency, especially offensively, I think. Um, and we, we saw that non-consistency against Tennessee. What did you think of the, the little three-day uh, holiday tournament KU played in? Well, first of all, I think the competition was actually pretty decent. Uh, NC State looked decent in the first game. Uh, Wisconsin, of course, uh, I think they shared the Big Ten championship last year. And, you know, Tennessee under Rick Barnes is a pretty consistent team in the SEC. I think um, I think one thing that uh, I, I don't have a very good feel for this team right now, Scott, they're, they're going to be good. They're going to challenge for the Big 12 and, you know, a top three seed, probably the NCAA tournament. But, um, man, I'm just having a hard time trying to – figure out what their identity is. I mean, you know, Jalen Wilson's kind of trying to, he's, he's, he's the unquestioned leader right now. Grady Dick's pr- pr- uh, providing a great spark. You know, he's shooting 46% from three. Yeah. Kevin McCullers, who's who uh, missed yesterday's game against Texas Southern with a minor injury. They don't expect him to be out long. And, you know, Dewan Harris is just the classical point guard. He's not going to score you many points, but he's going to handle things and really run the offense. And you got guys like MJ Rice and uh, Bobby Pettiford and Joe Yesifu. You know, got the Uda kid who hasn't played very much. And, you know, Zach Clements just doesn't look very good right now. Um, you yeah. know, not, not a lot of size in the post right now. Uh, it, I think right now it looks like kind of, uh, you know, I, I'm just trying to figure out where they're going to score consistently from. Wilson and Dick seem to be the kind of the, the guys who are going to score a lot of points. But who's going to be your third scorer? Is it going to be McCuller? Is it going to be K.J. Adams? Is going to, you know, is M.J. Rice going to, you know, he's been hurt. Is he, is he going to be able to come up? And provide some uh, provide some offense because right now you look at the three point percentages and really it's only Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick taking the bulk of those threes and hitting them with with uh, consistency. Yeah, what about the game winner against Wisconsin? The <laughs> the third touch and the reverse layup over the back. It was a it was that was Pettiford, wasn't it, Brad? That made that it, shot. His only field goal attempt of the game. Yeah, it was that was a that was a crazy game winner against Wisconsin. Yeah, KU's going to be just fine. I'll be interested. We'll see how they come out against Seton Hall. I'm like you. I, I've just only got to see um, it's, it's a little bit of the NC State game and some of the Wisconsin games. So I'm still trying to get a little bit of a, a feel for the team. But I think especially by um, late December and into January, I think they're going to be really, really good in the Big 12 and, as always, compete for the championship. Um, staying in college basketball, uh, the Sterling College Warriors got back in action. A busy week. They'll play three times this week. I was in Winfield last night. Very interesting games, Brad. Southwestern women came in 3-6, and six, but 0-3 in the KCAC. And their previous loss on the, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, Brad, they shot 15% from the floor at St. Mary, including two of 19 from the three-point line in that game. Care to guess what their three-point percentage was against Sterling in the first half last night? Oh, I'll say about 50%. Eight of 16, yes. (laughs) I just guessed, by the way. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, great guess. Uh, 
And at halftime, Sterling actually trailed 34-33. Southwestern closed the half on an 11-0 run. And Sterling just had, I didn't play a bad half, but just didn't quite have the intensity. They were a little out of, out of sync. They came out in the third quarter, focused, had a 29-9 third quarter. They started hitting a few threes. They put the clamps down defensively, only allowed one three-point basket in the second half and ended up blowing out um, Southwestern. Uh, they Some good news on the injury front. Corinne Clayson missed that game, but I'm told that she could possibly play by the end of this week, maybe a little dab against McPherson or possibly Saturday against Bethany. That would get them back to um, 100%, and that would that would make a big difference for them. Um, but I think that was, that was a good – road test to be challenged, be down at halftime, and then, boy, did they come out in response. Uh, the men's game, on the other hand, in Winfield, uh, Sterling lost 81-68 to the number 11 team in the country, Southwestern. But this was just a two-point game at halftime, 36-34, and about five minutes into the second half, Sterling led this game by three. But as Coach Stang and I talked about, uh, pretty good 30 minutes, but the game, unfortunately, 40 minutes. Southwestern, as they can, started getting the three ball to go, made a run, actually got up by about 20. Sterling made kind of a late little charge to get it back to 13. But uh, Coach Stang was really happy with the way the team competed. Um, he says just he, he talks often about it's a process to rebuild to learn how to win and build a winning culture but he was still very happy as i was that they competed so well against a a top ranked team in the country it was it was a it was a fun game they played well for like i said about 30 out of 40 minutes yeah if you get a team that's just going to compete and you know take care of the ball and make free throws and rebound and just and just just play hard and you know play fundamentally sound you're going to find yourself more often than not in games uh than getting blown out because we saw it so often last year that they just got blown out just got the wheels blown off so much last year uh, i don't think it's going to happen this year scott uh you know they beat york and then like you said they're in this game against a good southwestern team and uh, i see that they got the clark kid there at southwestern yes uh, is it seven or kevin kevin I kevin told- clark there uh, boy, I remember him in high school at Arc City. Man, that kid was a player. 18 of 18 from the free throw line. Are you kidding me? No, I watched uh, most of them. They were, I was in the crow's nest there, and I was on that end when he was just putting one in after another there in the second half. It's, um, almost, like his da- it's almost like his dad's a coach or something like that. Well, and then you got uh, Andrew O'Neill. We both know him from Halstead High School. Um, very, very good player there. He's, he's grown up to 6'7" plays really well in the post. They're legitimate. Um, they're really, really good. Um, but uh, Kirk Caden, the Southwestern radio man, we've known each other for quite a few years. He he commented, texted me during the middle of the game. He said, this team is so much better than the past couple, three seasons. And, I, you know, I completely agree. They're just, um, just a, on a little bit different level. And I think they're going to continue to get better. A couple uh, – more games this week, six and eight o'clock. The tips at home against McPherson on Thursday, and then five and seven o'clock at Bethany. Again, winnable games certainly for both teams. Should be a lot of fun this week with Sterling College. Uh, also, um, before we leave 
college sports, Brad, uh, what did you think about the college football playoff rankings? It seems to be about as straightforward as it's ever been this time of year. Um, Georgia's number one. They play LSU in the SEC title game. Purdue number two. They play or, or Michigan number two. They play Purdue in the Big Ten title game. Number three, TCU plays KSU in the Big 12 title game. And number four, USC plays Utah in the Pac-12 title game. Ohio State at five, Alabama at six. It seems pretty straightforward. Um, if these teams all win, that's your top four. Where it's going to get really dicey is if one of the undefeated teams, the top three, would lose a close game would they still be in like a Georgia if they lose a close game to LSU or Michigan loses a close game of course Purdue unranked what would then happen but um clearly all four win they're all they will all be in but what do you think about a couple upsets what would happen well uh just from what I can gather from the Twitter verse is that it seems to be pretty universal that they're gonna have a very hard time dropping a team and I, I should clarify this dropping a, a, a TCU mainly for an Ohio State or Alabama and what I mean by that is Ohio State and Alabama Tennessee Penn State they don't they all don't play this week and what it seems to be the consensus is it just wouldn't be right to drop a TCU out of the top four for an Ohio State or Alabama who don't even play this week because they weren't good enough to play in their conference championship game. So it doesn't make any sense to me why, unless TCU just gets their socks blown off or if Michigan loses to an unranked Purdue team uh, or, you know, but I think the only team I think that would be in trouble if they don't win is USC. But again, why would you punish USC for losing in a conference championship game when Ohio state wasn't even good enough to make their conference championship? I know they only lost to Michigan. Uh, number two, but they also got blown out by Michigan. And I don't want, I don't even want to hear about Alabama challenging for a spot in the top four. Get them the heck away from the top four. They don't deserve it. Not even now, close. They have two losses. I don't even want to hear Alabama as a possibility for being in the top four. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Does USC have a loss? Yes, they do have one loss. Yes. Okay, yeah. I, I, if, if they lose, they're out. I mean, two losses – then I think Ohio State moves in for sure. I'm with you. Alabama, nope, shouldn't even be considered. Um, and, I, and I'm like you. If TCU loses even a close game, Brad, that committee's putting Ohio State in over TCU. I will bet you money that they do it. I, I really think TCU is in a must-win situation, especially if they got blown out. Definitely, they would jump Ohio State in. I just know that committee would do that. They would, they would screw TCU. Um, and I think the top two really safe unless, like you said, they just get um, beat by four or five touchdowns. I still can't believe that Georgia or Michigan would drop out. Yeah, I don't think so either. I'm starting to lean a little I, – I, I normally would probably uh, agree with you there, Scott, but here's the thing about TCU, though. I think they're, I think they're done with the disrespect. I, I think they've had enough with the disrespect that they've had this year. We saw that with them blowing out Iowa State, and I know that there's a lot of there, – there's a, a significant portion of the population out there who expects K-State to go in and beat TCU, kind of, oh, we got the three losses like we had in 2003, playing an undefeated team like in 2003. This is different. I think TCU is fed up with the disrespect that they've had coming their way this year. I'm not saying that they are going to win this weekend, but 
I, I think that they're fed up. And I, I, I actually think that they are going to win this weekend because they are tired of the disrespect headed at their their way. You know that the subconsciously they're probably thinking we can't lose this game. And I don't think they're going to use that as a um, – I don't think that's going to be a crutch in, uh, for them. I think that they're going to use that. They're going to channel it. I think they beat K-State again. I, I do as well, and I, I want them to win because I want the Big 12 in the playoff, and that is the only way – it's going to happen. So those games will decide the college football playoff, and then the rest of the bowls will fall in line um, after this weekend. Uh, one other college game, Brad, big one in Hutch on Saturday. Hutch and Coffeyville, one side of the semifinal for the JUCO championship. What do you think of Hutch and Coffeyville? Hutch, get them a second time. Yeah, it's going to be interesting in that, that this is the first time that the two have played in, in Hutch in a couple of years. Uh, you know, they played uh, last year in Coffeyville. Coffeyville beat Hutch 17-10. And then this year, Coffeyville was up 9-7 to in the fourth quarter. Nothing was going Hutch's way. Then they bring in Dylan Kedzier, uh, who hadn't seen much time at, at running back. And all he did was uh, carry the team to a touchdown in the fourth quarter and, and a win and on his way to become the Jayhawk Conference Offensive Player of the Year. So... You know, I, I do like Hutch's chance this weekend. I don't think Coffeyville's got the offense to win this game, but they've proven time and again that they can get you on special teams and on defense with a pick six or a scoop six. So that's where if Hutch can avoid, you know, a, you know having Coffeyville score in one of the other two phases, I think they win this game and maybe win it by a couple touchdowns. I do as well, If they, if they if, especially if they can make it a little bit more up-tempo, a little higher scoring. They could run away if it's a defensive battle and it comes down to a, a turnover, then that's where um, they could get in trouble. But I, I do look for Hutch um, to be playing for the national title. Uh, we move on. Of course, the Chiefs ended up with a 26-10 to 10 victory over the Rams this past Sunday. It was a Matt Stafford-less Rams team, a Cooper Cup less Rams team. The injuries hitting the Rams really hard this year. Still a very good defense, which kept them, uh, I don't want to say in the game, Brad, but it kept them close. You just got the feeling in this game for the Chiefs that they were really never in danger of losing just the Rams offense with their backup, more of a runner. They just weren't going to ask him to try to throw the ball around, so they kept trying to keep it minimal possession, try to get First down, switched the field, which they did some at times in this game and kept it lower scoring. The the Chiefs, it's hard to describe. It's, it was more like a workmanlike effort. Mahomes, 27-42, 320, a TD and a pick, pick in the end zone, which um, took points potentially off the board. Kelsey, four for 57, a touchdown. Pacheco, 22 for 69, a touchdown. Mahomes threw to 10 Different receivers. Good to see Juju Smith-Schuster back out there. He looks healthy. Um, I know a lot of people were bagging on the Chiefs after this win. And, and to me, it was it was one of those, you, you get by, you get the win. It was a workmanlike effort. Didn't look like anybody got injured. Now you focus on a red-hot Bengals team um, this next Sunday at Cincinnati. Huge game because the schedule lightens up for the Chiefs after that. They're one game in front of the Bills, who quite frankly should have lost on Thanksgiving. You got the Titans got another loss. The Ravens lost again. That number one seed's hanging right out there. Um, got to get it done this Sunday. Yeah, I think that um, 
you know, talking about Sunday's game, it, uh, it was very unchiefs-like performance. You know, one for six in the red zone when it came to touchdowns. I mean, you know, Harrison Bucker kicked four field goals, which isn't usually a good sign, but it's even worse when his longest one was 32. Yeah. You know, they were, you know, two 22 yards and a 27 yard are also, you know, if, if Harrison Bucker's kicking four field goals, I'd much rather them be in the, you know, 45 to 55 yard range. Uh, because if he's kicking chip shots, that means the Chiefs are getting down there and not scoring touchdowns. But, you know, you, you have games like that. You know, they lost to the Colts this year. You, you have games like this where, you know, just things aren't, aren't quite clicking and they're just not a little bit off. And, I, you know, the good teams figure out a way to win those games. And, you know, the Chiefs kind of got bagged a little bit for, uh, beating the Jaguars by 10 what they do on Sunday they beat the Ravens mm-hmm. so you know you, you don't apologize for winning in the NFL you especially don't apologize for winning by 16 points yeah and yeah it's a, it's a big game Sunday uh the Chiefs actually have the weakest schedule remaining this season so that kind of tells you what they have after the Bengals because the Bengals are obviously a, you know a pretty good team uh I think if the Chiefs win this one they get the number one seed if they lose uh, obviously, then they're back to needing help from someone to bump off the Bills. But the Bills got a tough schedule too, Scott. They got the Patriots twice. They got the uh, the Dolphins again, and they get the Bengals as well. Yeah, the Bengals. We know they've gotten the Chiefs the last couple of times. They've played them once in Cincinnati, once in Kansas City, with the Super Bowl on the line. They feel like a team kind of like the Titans. It it, some, it just seems like a tough matchup. Um, the Titans because they can run the ball so well. I know the Bengals can run it, but it, it seems to be, I don't know why it is. It just seems like there's certain matchups out there. I, I, boy, I, it, it's a tough one to call for me because I think it's going to be a really tight game. I think they'll do well just to get out of Cincinnati with a win. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, the, the chiefs last year, you know, two close losses to the Bengals and, you're kind of kicking yourself after both of those games because I feel like that it wasn't that the Bengals won them. It felt like the Chiefs just lost them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the game in Cincinnati where the Chiefs defense just kept committing penalty after penalty after penalty. And then, of course, the meltdown, uh, very uncharacteristic in the AFC championship game last year. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think that this game will go a long way. If the Chiefs win this one, I think they will be the number one seed. If they lose, uh, it just kind of, it, it probably goes back to about 50-50. Yeah, and it, like you said, it's a good deal that the two teams right behind them, the Dolphins and Bills, <laughs> you know they're going to have another – well, most likely going to have another loss because they play one another. They can tie, which, of course, would also be good. Um, so that's going to happen. And, again, the Patriots are playing well. Um, the other news with the Chiefs, um, I thought this would happen, and it did. Uh, Melvin Gordon – um, released by the Broncos, signed by the Chiefs. What do you think of that pickup uh, with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of action for a while? I do think they need some more depth at running back. I, I, I like Isaiah Pacheco. He runs hard. He plays hard. But he's also a, a, a very low-drafted rookie. You know, He's going to need time to, to develop into something. Uh, Jarek McKinnon's more of a pass catcher and a blocker and kind of the, the the wily veteran he's not someone that you can rely on to carry 15 to 20 times a game right so they do need some more depth at running back the only thing i think they've got ronald jones he played um i think he's a a good back melvin gordon's a good back of course the reason why he's out there brad he's been putting it on the ground this year um that worries me a little bit of how much he plays, how much he touches it, especially when the weather gets colder. He seemed to be a little bit more susceptible to fumbling. That's the only uh, 
that's that's the one negative right now with with Melvin Gordon. He's had some good years with Denver. That's the one thing that concerns me. And speaking of Denver, Brad, what in the world's going on with Russell Wilson? He looks oh well awful. <laughs> I, I really think, uh, Scott, that the, Bron- the, the, the they're screwed for a decade. They, they really are. I, I mean, they, they, they didn't get Russell Wilson to, you know, get, get into the wild card round or anything like that. They didn't get Russell Wilson to have winning records. Well, why did they get Russell Wilson? Because they thought what? They thought that could put him in contention to, to go to the playoffs, win the Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. They, 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 they mortgaged the farm on this one, Scott. They thought – they, they, they got Russell Wilson thinking that this was the missing piece between them being close and then winning a Super Bowl. And they're, they're, they're finished. Uh, the, I, I don't think Russell Wilson's bringing the magic back. And what, he cost him a half billion dollars or something like that? I mean, the, the, the Broncos are finished for a decade. Yeah, I saw something that it would make people like you and I who hate the Broncos anyhow. Um, it was uh, – oh, great. Now I'm going to forget his name. Uh, Carson Wentz. Do you realize Carson Wentz still has more touchdown passes this season than Russell Wilson and Wentz hadn't played since week six? <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, things have completely unraveled um, for the Broncos this season. Um, yeah, and like you said, what, what they mortgaged, the, the players' picks they gave up, the salary, yeah, that's that could be a, a – a long, long time. He, he. That before we talk about the Broncos being of any kind of significance. So that is the uh, gist of our regular topics this week. So we can move on to your final thoughts. All right. Well, first of all, I got kind of a weird score here for you, Scott. I mean, this is just kind of one of those mind-boggling scores. Uh, Baylor basketball lost tonight, ninety-six to seventy. Whoa, to Marquette. So, anyway, that's not my, what my final thought is. I just saw that score and I was like, wait a minute. Baylor lost to unranked Marquette by 26. Well, they did. So, well, here's my final thoughts here, Scott. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm a big soccer guy and I've been watching the World Cup. And today we're recording this on Tuesday. The United States defeated uh, Iran, uh, won nothing to advance to the knockout rounds. And all I could think about is how big this Saturday is for these young Americans, they start the, the team that they rolled out against Iran was the youngest starting 11 that anybody has put out there at the world cup so far this year. And that includes a 35 year old Tim Ream starting at center back. So uh, that really tells you even more how young some of those guys are that they put out there today. And what I mean, how big this game is on Saturday, they play at 9am against the Netherlands, 9am local time against the Netherlands. It's a winnable game for the United States. Christian Pulisic, who scored the goal and suffered a, uh, pelvic contusion he had to go to the hospital but he is expected to play on saturday and i just can't big this game is for soccer in this country there's a lot of people probably like you out there scott you'll follow the world cup you know if the united states is playing you know you'll you might tune in and and watch it Uh, you know you're a casual fan you know that brazil is good you know that argentina is good you know that france is good but you know you probably could you probably you're not going to get up at at 4 a.m to watch you know Senegal against Australia or something like that. Like I probably will, but here's how, here's how big this game is. I think for the United States, don't forget they're hosting the world cup in four years. And again, with such a young team, I think if the United States can win this game against the Netherlands and advance into the quarterfinals, 
that they are setting the stage for what could be a very memorable four years. They don't have to qualify in four years because they're hosting. And having such a young team really bodes well, I think, for their chances in 2026 if they can find a way to get to the quarterfinals at this World Cup in Qatar. And, again, I just can't imagine how big, the, you know, it, it'll be a weekend uh, starting at, what I say, 9 o'clock on, on, uh, in Central Time. So that's, what, 10 o'clock on the East Coast and at 7 o'clock out on the West Coast. So it's not a, a bad time for people to get up and watch the game. And I think if they can beat the Netherlands and really start to gather some momentum to 2026 with such a young team this year, could really set the stage for something memorable with uh, U.S. soccer coming up in four years. Yeah, I think so. I actually did. It was on at my uh, brother's house uh, the day after Thanksgiving. We had a gathering there. I did watch quite a bit of the USA and England um, in that game. Of course, a scoreless tie, which set up the must-win um, against Iran. I, I did see, and I think, did you see, Brad? Um, I, I did not realize this until they said there's been between two and 300 workers that were killed in Cutter getting ready for this World Cup. Did you see that article? Yes, there's actually, I think, well over 300 actually uh, workers from like uh, Nepal and some other Southern Asian countries who went there. They had their passports confiscated. Really sad stuff. Had their passports confiscated and they were essentially subjected to slave-like conditions. Yeah, that's uh, just it's it's been a lot of as good as the games have been. There's been all these. Uh, distractions and garbage and unfortunate humanitarian things um, off of the field, taking distracting away from what has been great play on the field. And I'll be very, very curious to see how the USA, and as you mentioned, so young uh, when they host it in four years, maybe they can really, really make some noise here in America um, and be a significant factor in the World Cup. I'm going to go to another news story I saw. I think I saw this last week and just didn't get it on the agenda um, that the Royals have officially announced um, plans. It's, there's not a set timetable for it yet, but they are going to invest and build a downtown stadium to relocate to uh, most think that it's going to be sometime later in the 20s maybe 28 29 um they hope to have a new stadium downtown that they will move into and you know brad i understand the reasoning for it it gets you closer to all of those all the great um bar and grills and the barbecue places and everything right down in there they believe it's going to bring in a lot more revenue because there are going to be so many things so close to the stadium to bring in fans that they can do before after the game but it just it, it makes me sad when i think about the k it wasn't that many years ago they completely redid it and brad it in my opinion it's one of the top five in mlb right now as far as family friendly all the the playground area so beautifully groomed they've got the best groundskeeper in the game um the dimensions are great. It's not a huge home run park. It's better than it used to be. And it's easy to get in and out of when you go to a game. Um, the memories that have been made there with the great Royals teams over the years, of course, the, the championship in 15, it just, it made me sad to think of that stadium out there that most likely once they move into the downtown stadium is going to be bulldozed into more parking for um, Arrowhead Stadium, which, of course, shares the parking lot, which, of course, would open the door for 
uh, that to be renovated to get some type of retractable roof and get a Super Bowl, which, you know, would be great for the Chiefs. But it just made me sad um, to think about all those memories kind of kind of kind of go away from from the K and um I'll, I'll, I'll get into it. Hopefully they're going to get good again. And the downtown stadium will be great for the team, but it's, it's still going to make me a little sad when, when the K is no longer around. Well, if uh, my dad, hopefully will still be around uh, when the new ballpark opens and it would be the, uh, the third ballpark that he, you know, he's lived in Kansas City his whole life. And I know that he has memories still of old municipal mm-hmm. and going down and watching, you know, first the Kansas City A's and then the, uh, the Royals and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, that that's a big part of my uh, life is going down to the K, uh, the K back when it was Royal Stadium and sitting, you know, 10 rows behind the Royals dugout when my dad would get the company tickets, you know, because no one wanted to go during the weekday games. So we'd go to the weekday games and then the customers would take them on the weekends. And, uh, you know, even going through the years, you know, when I got older, going with my friends out to sit in general mission out in left field and then, mm-hmm. you know, taking my kids to the games and, you know, you know, my son, you know, being a big Eric Hosmer fan. I mean, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot lot of good memories there. I do think though, this is a good opportunity for Kansas city. If they can get this right, you know, with the, the women's soccer team building a new downtown stadium, a 10,000 seat stadium downtown. And if the Royals can build something good, maybe then they can get some good public transit to take people in and out of downtown. And then on top of that, maybe building a crown jewel Arrowhead Stadium out there, you know, put some restaurants out there, maybe an entertainment district. Uh, I think if they do this right, it could be something pretty special. But I really like you, Scott, I'm going to be sad when they get rid of Coffin Stadium. But I do think if they can get this right, it could be something pretty darn cool. I think I, I completely agree. I think I think, like you said, they do it right. It'll it'll be great for both franchises that share that parking lot. But there, there'll be a part of me that always remembers the K, the $5 GA tickets we would get. Right. <laughs> I mean, where, where else could you do that? You can still get into the Royals game for about 10 bucks, 12 bucks in GA. I mean, it's just, it's always been the most affordable place as well. So fan friendly. And uh, I don't see a new stadium being like that either. But again, that's, uh, um, we'll talk about it more when there's more final plans, but uh, I'll miss it when it does indeed happen. Well, again, if you want to see the Ad Astra schedule, you can go to adastraradio.com and the sports page, everything up there for this week and getting that schedule out pretty soon for early season tournaments next week. But for this week's View from the Press Box, for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you next week.